All right, if you have a Bible, if you'd please grab it and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. So here's a question. How does the church equip the saints to do the work of ministry? How does the church equip the saints to do the work of ministry? In, in Christ's church, it is the congregation who ministers. It is the pastors who hold before you the word of God, who administer the sacraments, who lead in helping provide the trellis upon which you, the vines, can grow. But it's the congregation who does the ministry. How do we equip you to do the work of ministry. This entire winter and into the spring, we're talking about that phrase in Ephesians chapter 4. What does it mean for us to do the work of ministry together, especially as we come back to worship together after many months of being separate from the pandemic and as we learn in our life together what it means to use our gifts for His glory's sake? According to the Bible, we are all uniquely designed by the triune God, and God intends us to enjoy Him as we use our gifts together in community. And for some of you, you have been using your gifts perhaps in another church for many, many years, and you've found rest here, and we're so grateful for that. And there will be a point at which you begin to use your gifts again in this local body in particular ways, and we want to equip you to do that. Gifts are only to be used on Sundays. Your gifts, your callings are to be used Monday through Saturday where you work. And many of you are using your gifts in beautiful ways in the vocation that you have. So if we are going to understand our own unique gifting, it must begin at the beginning. And so we're taking you all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 where we see five themes emerge in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that undergird our ability to begin to use our gifts as God designed us to use them back in the garden. And those are, number one, dominion. And as somebody said this week to me, no, I don't mean the voting machines. Dominion, God's rule and reign as he extends his image to the world through our gifts. Dominion, number two, relationships. Number three, fruitfulness. Number four, provisions. And number five, limits. I'll say those again week after week. Dominion, relationships, fruitfulness, provisions, and limits. And today we're talking about relationships. Genesis 1 provides the principles, and Genesis chapter 2 brings out the practice of those principles as Moses is recounting the deeds to Israel of what God did when he created the world. So, starting with the headwaters of the biblical story, there at the river where it all began, we read how God equipped Adam and Eve to do the work of ministry, and we'll focus on relationships. I'm going to read verses 27, 26, and 27 of chapter 1, and then I will read down through uh, verse 18, down through 25. You have Genesis 1 and 2 in your bulletins. I'm only going to read portions of it. So if you would, let's stand together as we read God's word. Friends, men have died for this book to be translated into languages that we can understand without having you read the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. 
And so we read it with a profound sense of gratitude to William Tyndale and others who have sacrificed so much so that we could read it together. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now down to verse 18 of chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds of the heavens, to, all, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. Who here has ever rafted on a river with a guide? Yeah, I see some of those hands. Your family's gone on a river rafting guide. When you go down a river with a river rafting guide, say down the Arkansas, up in Colorado, the guide gives you certain instructions, doesn't he? He tells you to keep your life jacket on. He tells you to keep your helmet on if you have a helmet. He tells you people who are on the left side of the boat, he tells you you need to row when I tell you to row. And people on the right side of the boat, you need to row when I tell you to row. And if I tell you to stop rowing, you stop rowing. And if you don't listen to the guide, it doesn't go well for you. And if you get into that dinghy or you get into that boat by yourself and don't know what you're doing, it does not go well for you. You crash into the rocks, you pivot, you end up going backwards, and you potentially capsize. When God looked at his beautiful creation, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good. It is good. And then there was man alone with God as a guide. And God said, it is not good. Verse 26 and 27 say, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. As a consequence, we see that in Genesis, 
a consequence of being made in the image of God is that we work. We were designed to work in relationship with God and each other. If there's anything you remember about the sermon, it's this. It's this primary principle that we enjoy God as we work together. We enjoy God as we work together. Can you say that with me? We enjoy God as we work together. Now, that doesn't sound like rocket science, but that's indeed what Genesis 1 tells us. And the consequence of us being made in his image is that he has designed us to work together. That principle may not rock your socks off. But think about how diametrically opposed that is to the way you have lived almost your entire life. Moms and dads, when you, if you're an expectant mother or if you just had a child, if you're at home and you're with your baby, like you designed your nursery for how many babies? One. And they grew up in a room with many other children. No, most of the time they grew up in a room by themselves. Our houses are designed for our children to have separate rooms. When you potty trained your child, how many people were with you? Well, none others. That would be kind of weird in our culture. They were alone. When you first learned to do school and you were graded, how many of you were graded based upon the way your entire class performed? Well, we grew up in a Western world where we're graded by our individual merits. How many of you have ever applied for a job with a resume that had somebody else's credentials on it along with yours? Like almost everything we've done as modern Western American people, we've done as individuals. We have stood on our own two feet to get where we are. And how radical it is for us to read in the gospel, in Genesis, that God has made us male and female to work together. And if we didn't have all the cultural baggage of our Western world and the rise of the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution and the specialization of tasks, if we could go back 500 years where we were judged not by our own individual effort, but by our family's collective effort, by our community's collective effort, by our borough or hamlets or village's collective effort, it would be a radically different world. We have a God who is inherently relational, and we forget that. And as images of God, of a relational God, we are inherently relational people. And the second part of Genesis 27 makes this point again. It speaks not of our individuality, but it speaks of two, male and female. He created them. In Eden, relationships were crucial for the flourishing of God's kingdom. And that is still true today. How does the reality of that impact the way that we work and serve? Above all, we are called to love people that we work with, that we work among, those who we work for. Jesus summed up the whole law by saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments are the summary of the entirety of the law, he says in Matthew chapter 22. The God of relationships is the God of love, as Stephanie read for us earlier in 1 John chapter 4. One could say that God loves 
And that is true, but Scripture actually goes deeper to say that God in his very being is love. There is a man named Richard St. Victor who lived in the 12th century. He died in 1173. And Richard St. Victor said that if God were only one, he would not know what it means to love. And if God were two, then they would be so infatuated with each other like lovers you might say lovers who are kissing on the street corner, so infatuated, infatuated with each other that they forget the rest of those around them. But we have a triune God, Richard St. Victor says, whose love is so healthy and happy and whole that his love spills out. God, Richard St. Victor says, is a sharing God. He shares his love with all of the world. That's what it means for God to be triune. He's a sharing God. Kiddos, children, let me see your eyes. When, when your parents tell you, hey, you should share with your brother or with your sister or with your classmates, what are they doing? They are saying to you, you should be like God because he's a sharing God. The Father is constantly loving the Son, the Son constantly loving the Spirit, the Spirit constantly loving the Father, this great divine, beautiful dance around of the Godhead itself. God is love. And he has called us to therefore love, which again, the principle may not knock your socks off, but think about how hard it is to push back against the individuality of our culture and to see, just like Emily and uh, Tanner and Sarah did, to say, my spirituality is crucially impacted by the local church. I need these people, and these people need me because God has called us to be one together. What does it look like for the local church to equip the saints for the work of ministry? Jonathan Edwards says that the whole world is a theater for the display of the divine goodness, wisdom, and justice, and power of God. And the church is his orchestra to play their music for the world, to hear of the good news of the gospel. We enjoy God as we work together. And the first principle you see in 26 and 27 is that we are designed to work together. If you're going to understand your gifts, you have to understand your gifts in connection with other people. Yes, he gives you particular gifts, you individually, but he does so to use in a community. And without that community, your gifts are not put to use in the way God intends. Now, okay, so far so good. A little theological background to underscore the importance of relationships in the Christian life and practice. But, of course, the problem for us is Genesis chapter 3, isn't it? That sin entered the world and it complicates things. And so now we don't other, always put other people first. We don't think about God's glory. Frankly, we're glory thieves and we want what we want. So... Um, What's the, what's the mascot for the Owasso Rams? Anybody know? Of course we all know. It's the Rams, right? So there's a lot of different school districts in our, in our church. But let's just take the Rams for just a second. And let's say that we were, we were all back in high school. We're all high school students. And let's say that one day the teachers, the counselors, they put some pressure on all of us to choose. And we have to choose between the orange 
or the green. The orange group, the orange group are people who love band, drama, and music in English, right? Choir kids, band kids, English people, poetry people, they're all in this group, right? And then the, the green group are the, are the sports people, the math and science people. And so they say there's two pathways you must choose and you must choose along these two pathways. The, you got the orange group, the drama band English people, and you've got the green group. You've got the athletes and you've got the math science people. And so you must choose a pathway. It's gonna help you take your classes easier. It's gonna help you have a better high school experience. And so we choose. We choose one of these two teams. And, and as we start to talk amongst ourselves, we have best friends that, that chose to be athletes when we were in the band and vice versa. And we start talking to them less and less because they're, of course, they're doing different classes than we are. And we're kind of in our own little orbit. And over time, we decide, the orange group decides, hey, you know what would be really great? Let's just put our lockers over on this side of the building. And the green group says, well, we'll just move our lockers over here. It makes it easier for everybody. And then pretty soon as you deliberate and talk more, then you say, you know what? I think we should just go to West Campus. And so the orange group goes to West Campus and the green group goes, goes to the East Campus and takes it over. And, and pretty soon you have friendly rivalries between the groups and you, you, know, you start to have this banter back and forth and it's all fun and games and, until you start to talk more and more about, about how your, your group actually is better than, than this group. And then you begin to hear, hear one another fire each other up. And then all of a sudden you, you graduate. And you leave and you go to college. You come back for your 10th high school reunion and, and this, they still have the orange group and the green group. And, and you notice that you come on homecoming and the homecoming is actually the orange team against the green team. And you're like, wait a minute, this isn't, I thought we were Rams. And you hear the orange group like screaming at the green group and the orange group begins to forget that they love drama and band and poetry. And all they know is that the green group hates them and they want to destroy them. And the green group looks at the orange group and says, I don't really care about sports all that much. I just want the orange group to, to be defeated so that we can be victorious. Now, and you come back from your high school reunion and you look at this like, whoa, where are the adults in the room? This is silly. We're rams. There's a man named Bill Bishop who wrote a book called The Big Sort in 2008. And Bill Bishop essentially says that that's exactly what's happened to our country. And that you have people who over here forget what they're really for. They're just anti these people. And you have people over here who forget what they're really for. They're just anti these people. And one of these groups of people kind of use Christianity as like the way that they have an identity. But really, they're known as the green group. And these people over here have an identity that they don't really always know what they're for. They just know they're anti-green and they're, they're the orange group. And, and Bill Bishop, Bishop says that our country has essentially divided itself. And it's not just, I'm not just talking about politics, by the way, although that's included. I'm talking about far more than that. So that people are choosing to live in certain environments where everybody is like them. And people are choosing to have friends where everybody is like them. And so as we talk to each other, and as we honestly want to assess what other people think, we're actually getting advice only from those other people who are like us. And you know what, that hap what happens when that begins to happen over time? 
you begin to become more extreme in your views and more like the people that you live with, except only an extreme version. There's a, there's a man who's a University of Chicago law professor whose name is Cass Sestine, and he wrote a paper called The Law of Group Polarization. And basically what he says is that when you only ask people who are like-minded for advice over time, you begin to adopt extreme views. And over time, the group's going to move more and more to an extreme position. So here's the question, church. How do we, as salt and light in the world, use our gifts for ministry together in a world that is so polarized? Yes, by politics, also by economics, also by race. It's incredibly polarized. And how do we protect ourselves from creating a kind of gate, an invisible gate that says, if you come to this church, you must look like this, you must talk like this, you must have this kind of socioeconomics. That is the death knell of the church. And that is not what we're for. And so the challenge for us, if we are going to learn that we enjoy God as we work together, means that we are able to be so confident in the gospel that we can interact with people who are different from us. And we can have honest dialogue and good conversations with friends who may not live in the same street or vote the same way or look the same way or even share our same faith. I mean, when was the last time you actually shared your faith with somebody who didn't claim to be a Christian? Well, you say, well, everybody in Owasso claims to be a Christian. That's true because of the big sort. We're all living in the same area together. But here's a little um, headline for you. Not everybody's a Christian. But the cultural value of saying that you are on the green team or you are a Christian in this community is so powerful. People are pressured to say it, even if they could care less about the church. And so when you see people making asinine decisions, like charging the capital of the United States of America with the Jesus saves sign, you should be appalled as a Christian. Using using the name of Christ to do things that clearly God would forbid. And so as Christians, guys, I don't promise to have answers to it, but I, I think it's healthy for us to enter into a dialogue. If we're going to use our gifts for God's glory as a church, we know that we have to have relationships with each other such that we can talk together about very, very difficult things and that we can allow people to struggle and to say things that may be very offensive to you, but to not let that, don't, don't disappear when that happens. Stay in it. Let's talk about it. Let's figure it out together. Let's think about it together. Because we are all sinners because of Genesis chapter 3, and we need each other. If we're going to come back to Genesis chapter 1, if we're going to live the way God intends us to live, though not perfectly until glory, our children should see a picture of that in the local church. And that means, and it starts with the leadership of the church, we cannot be answer people. We have to be people who direct people back to God's word and lead in repentance and faith and honest self-evaluation. Eugene Peterson wrote in a book called The Leap Over a Wall, the gospel 
miracle is that human beings like us from time to time evade the temptation of power and the brittleness of success and actually manage vulnerable love one to another. And they love another person who has all the potential of turning on us and rejecting us. And every time such love is ventured, another piece of the gospel is proclaimed and the kingdom of God is made credible. Paul Tripp wrote in New Morning Mercies that theology without love is simply bad theology. Now, I'm not saying tolerance of all sorts. I'm not saying you stand for sin. I'm not saying that, that you just say, well, love, love, love is the answer. No, Christ, Christ, Christ is the answer and the expression of Christ is love. It's a huge difference. On politics, John Wesley wrote, I met those in our society who had votes in the ensuing election and I advised them in three ways. One, vote without fee or reward for the person they felt most worthy. Two, speak no evil of the person they voted against. And three, take care that their spirits were not sharpened against those who voted on the other side. Not bad advice in 2020. Pastor David Cassidy wrote, the church is a mess. Yes, guilty as charged, especially me, he says. Yet when I gather with other messed up people to sit under the scriptures and at the Lord's table, I discover that this is the family in which I am called to grow up. Principle number one is that we are designed to work together. Principle number two is that God equips us to work together. In Genesis and Space and Time, Francis Schaeffer says that because we are made in God's image, we have a moral responsibility to extend the love of God to the world as a mirror reflects the light. And this cannot happen if we trade the kingdom of God in for power or economics or comfort or idolatry of its various sorts. When God said, it is not good that man should be alone, I will make a helper suitable for him in Genesis 2.18. God makes a woman out of the flesh and bone of Adam. And when Eve arrives, Adam is filled with joy. At last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And Adam and Eve embark, embark on a journey so close together that they become one flesh. That doesn't just mean physical, although it doesn't mean less than that but it means that they worked in such concert and symmetry to each other that they extended God's glory as little image bearers in the garden. And so think about that, husbands and wives, for your marriage right now. Even this week, I was with, uh, with couples who, they're, they're, they're confused and they're estranged from each other in part because they're really upset because politics has become such a major part of their life and their discussions together, and they're not on the same page, and it's wreaking havoc in their marriage. But what does it mean to be of one flesh so much so that you can display the image of God? It begins with listening to each other and it begins with being patient and talking with each other. Put your guns up and listen. Your Savior loves you. You're his child. So what if you would lose the argument? Eve is created as Adam's helper. In Hebrew, the word is azer. It means to be a partner, one who will join him in working the garden of Eden. Like Adam, she'll be tending the garden. She will be working alongside him in relationship. 
God is not saying that Eve is inferior to Adam or her work is less important or less creative or less anything than his. Elsewhere, the word azer is used in reference to God himself. God is my azer, Psalm 54, 4. The Lord is my azer, my helper, Psalm 30, 10. Clearly, azer is not a subordinate. Genesis 2.18 describes Eve not only as a helper, but as a partner in the work of ministry together. She's a co-worker. And there is no priority or dominance of Adam over Eve. It's a tragic consequence of the fall to see this kind of patriarchal attitude, men toward women. In fact, there is, there is a shocking Final verse to the Gospel of Thomas, which is not in our Bible. It's a Gnostic text. It's a shocking, shocking verse. I'm just going to read it. And I just want you to hear, especially if you're listening to this and you wonder, well, the church is like, listen to how patriarchal this is. And they said, no way, that's not Christianity. The Gospel of Thomas ends with this horrific line. Simon Peter said to them, let Mary leave us, for women are not worthy of life. And Jesus says, I myself shall... Uh, take her in order to make her a male so that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every woman who will make herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. What in the world? That is shocking. So that is not the Jesus of Scripture. And the early church rejected the gospel of Thomas outright because of passages like this that clearly can conflict with what scripture teaches. There's no subordination of women. They're co-workers, they're helpers. And it's crucial, women, even in our church, that you feel like you can use your gifts in ways that honor the Lord. Can you be ordained to, to ministry, to preach as I am? No, uh, you, we believe 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 says you cannot do that because God has designed it in such a way in leading the local church. But we want you to feel like you can lead in every way you feel free to lead. So do it. Let's do it. Use your gifts. There's amazing ways you can contribute. And so don't feel held back. And men, if you're holding your wives back, be careful. At the same time, men, if you aren't stepping up to use your gifts, please, oh, please, also, be careful. God has designed you to use your gifts together in beautiful concert. Jonathan Edwards says that all shall stand about God, the God of glory, the fountain of love, as it were, opening their bosoms to be filled with all the effusions of love which are poured forth from hence as flowers of the earth in a pleasant spring day. Open their petals to the sun to be filled with his warmth and light and to give beauty to the whole landscape of God's creation. Relationships are not incidental to ministry. They are crucial. They are essential. And one crucial aspect of work means that we also delegate, just like God delegated to Adam to go and name the animals. We too, in relationships, should delegate to each other. And this is where you find the beauty of passages like um, uh, Romans 12 or, or Ephesians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the different gifts are lined out in Scripture. We're all different. We're all different. We delegate in different ways. And all are valuable. And we need every single one of them. 
And so as we approach the spring and this winter together, the question is, how do you enjoy God by using the gifts that God has created you to use together in the local community? One way that you can begin to do that and to learn about that is by signing up for a community group. Back there on the black table, you'll see sheets of paper for community groups. If you're not in a community group, would you please pray about signing up for one? Just put your name down on a couple of them and just let them tell you about them and you can decide later if you want to join it or not. But step in. It's an easy place to begin to practice community and the rhythm of the warp and wolf of your life in community. Ladies, come to Ladies Bible Study. Consider coming. Men, join Will Parker in the men's group that's beginning. There's information about all those things on the back of your bulletin. These are ways for you to begin to grab an oar, to get in the boat, to discover our gifts. And what better time than right now? If you're at home, join by Zoom. Get involved. Don't hold back. Email Pastor Scott about community groups and jump into one. Be a part of one. Even if it means you're not ready to come in person to one, be part of the communication channels in those groups. Learn to begin to work together. You need each other now so much. Take advantage of it. Because there's a lot going on around us. A new year, a pandemic, transition of power for our president. There are lots of rapids. And we've got to get in the boat together and row. James 1, 14 and 15, and I'll close with this, says, each person is, when he is tempted, he is lured away and enticed by his own desire. Then the desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin has fully grown, it brings forth death. But Jesus left his father's throne above. So free, so infinite his grace that he emptied himself of all but love and he bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free for oh my God, it found out me us. Jesus's first prayer for us was that, Father, may all of them be one, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity. In Psalm 133, how good and pleasing it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Oh, how much the world needs to see that. And a community where people have vastly different views, all unified under Christ who is the head and come together and say, this is what it means to be a community together, to raise our children together, to encourage each other, to strengthen this community of Owasso and in Tulsa together, to be his hands and feet. The unity is like the oil coming down Aaron's beard. And for us, it's like the oil of the Holy Spirit at Jesus' baptism when the Spirit anointed him, flowing down from the head, Jesus, to his body, to us, so that we who are also filled by his Spirit may be his hands and feet in relationship together as we use our gifts for his glory. We enjoy God as we work together. Can we do it? It starts by coming to his table It starts, if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, it starts by saying, I want that, Jesus. I cannot 
cannot have a relationship with you, O Holy Father, because I'm a sinner. And so would you, even as you come to the table this morning, would you ask, Lord, to open your heart that you may believe. And you'd be surprised how he uses you for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us put our works, our gifts to work as the pandemic, we pray, lightens? Would you help us to shape one another through our collaboration together as iron sharpens iron? Would you help us to recognize, Lord, that you have called us to be your people and help us, Lord, as your people whose chief identity is the finished work of Christ to be able to sing of your praises and to serve to your glory's sake as those, as Micah has called us to do, to seek justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with you. Father, would you help us to do it? Thank you that you call us into relationship. And in relationship, Lord, would you help us to discover our gifts? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.